0: Hi, this is Hansen here from Archippus Awakening, a ministry that is dedicated to the awakening of saints that we may know and fulfill our God-given Kingdom assignments. And this is what Kingdom 101 is all about. We want to have good Kingdom foundations for all our Kingdom assignments. As a teacher, I encourage my students to ask questions. For one, it shows that they are thinking and processing. But more importantly, it reveals what's really in their hearts and minds. In my own wrestling with God, I also have lots of questions. I ask tons of questions. Well, some are good questions, I think. But I've also asked many wrong questions, or should I say, questions with wrong motives or intents. More often than not, I prefer answers that agree with my own position to justify a decision I've already made just to have someone agree with me. Thankfully, whatever my questions, God doesn't answer according to what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. He doesn't answer me according to my terms and presuppositions, but according to His word and ways. Our passage today, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1-12, to 12, deals with divorce. Is it allowed? When is it allowed? How do I get divorced? Practical questions, but not necessarily the right ones, especially when a marriage is breaking down and divorce is being considered. Those who ask these questions may not always be seeking the right answers, but answers they want to hear. On this note, I want to be extra careful and sensitive to everyone tuning in. I'm well aware that the issues experienced are not easy at all. However, if we desire the right answers, we have to ask the right questions. So whether you are struggling in your marriage, or journeying with a friend who is contemplating divorce, or you are providing counsel to couples in their marital relationships and their challenges, let's learn from Jesus. Let's say a quick prayer together. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, come speak to us and teach us. We have many questions give us the right answers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's begin by looking at the first two verses of our passage, verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 19. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these sayings, that He departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed Him, and He healed them there. Now these are transitional verses. Jesus had just finished the fourth kingdom discourse. And these end of discourses are usually marked by a familiar phrase, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings. Now, what are these sayings? Well, we go back to Matthew chapter 18, and it's all about kingdom relationships in the kingdom community. Now, keep this in mind because this provides a very important context for this whole passage about divorce, or more accurately, kingdom relationships in kingdom marriages. Jesus makes a journey from Galilee to Jerusalem and we are told that He goes by that region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Now this is largely known as Perea. Beyond means the eastern side of the Jordan. It's a common route for Jews because they want to avoid that region of Samaria. Now, not that Jesus avoided Samaria. In fact, he did go to a village in Samaria, but he was rejected by the people there on route to Jerusalem, and thus he detoured via Korea. We also note that this is not his first trip to Jerusalem, but this is the final one. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we're told, it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up uh, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, as he moved on, great multitudes followed him and he continued his ministry. But this increasing popularity would bring increasing hostility. And Matthew chapter 19 and chapter 20 both will set the stage for the final confrontation when he gets to Jerusalem. And so enter the Pharisees in Matthew 19 verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him amongst the multitudes, testing him and saying to him. Now these Pharisees must have watched Jesus's YouTube channel and heard his teaching Sermon on the Mount and specifically his teaching about divorces. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had already addressed this situation. Now, the Pharisees' intent was to test. Now, here comes that same word, perazzo, where we have met before and we have seen before. When Satan tested Jesus, this is the same word, to tempt Him, to expose fault, to prove Him wrong. And they question him with hope of Jesus giving all the wrong answers. They never expected Jesus to provide all the right answers, in turn exposing their wrong questions as well as their wrong intentions in their hearts. And so we're going to go through some of the questions in this passage to see what might be the wrong questions and what would be Jesus' right answers. Question number one, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Is it lawful, Jesus? The Pharisees were referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, and it reads, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favour in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Now, this word uncleanness can also be translated nakedness, something indecent, or shame. In the ESV, some indecency. In the NIV, something indecent. Now, in the days of Jesus, there were two rabbinic schools, Shammai and Hillel. Now, they would interpret this phrase a little bit differently. The Shammai school would look at something indecent and focused on the word indecent, referring to sexual immorality, uh, marital unfaithfulness. So that's the indecency that the school of Shammai would interpret. But the school of Hillel would look at something indecent and focused on the word something, which means anything, anything that upsets the man or brings a shame to him. And if the wife would burn his food or not speak to him correctly, rude, that's something that brings shame. Now, this verse would then also be applicable. So the Pharisees were really asking, tell us, Jesus, what do you think? They were trying to trap him. But what was really the main issue for the Pharisees? They were not really interested about divorce per se, but the reason for divorce. See, divorces were commonplace in those days, uh, accepted. Why? Because it's according to the law. I'm not breaking any rule in the book. Question is, how do I interpret the reasons? How do I justify divorce? So what does the law say, my dear Jesus, a uh, great teacher? And Jesus looks at them and in his heart, he's just really saying, wrong questions, guys. You've got the wrong focus. It's not about divorce. Here's the right answer. It's about marriage. And since you're referring to the Torah, why not back up a little? Let, let's go all the way back to Genesis. Have you not read? See, Jesus answers scripture with scripture. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, that's Genesis, right, made them male and female? Now, referring to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And it said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, that's chapter 2 and verse 24. And so then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Can you see that the Pharisees asked the question, but Jesus chose to answer it according to what is on God's heart. It's God's original design and intent for marriage. In other words, let's not talk about divorce. Why don't you understand what marriage is first? Then... You will have the right answers. You have the right framework, the right principle. Let's look at these verses and let's see what God's heart is, His original intent and design for marriage. Firstly, we see that it is male and female. Now, we can't take that for granted these days. Two genders only, male and female. And these are created in God's image. See, marriage involves these two genders only. Today, we are saying any combination is fine because there are so many variations of gender. The Lord is reminding us once more. Let's go back to the beginning. This is what it is. And remember and see that the male and the female were both created in God's image. So get this right. Marriage is not about us. Marriage reflects God's image. Because when these two come together, God wants to be glorified through this marriage. It's not so much about my happiness, though I can have joy in a marriage. It's not about my satisfaction, although I do derive that in and through a marriage. But ultimately, a kingdom marriage reflects and reveals the image of God. Then the second point is that the man is to leave and be joined. And in some places, in some translations, we will see leave and cleave. Let's take note of something here. This point is addressed to the man. Now, in many cultures, the woman's leaving of the parents and of family, that's assumed because the take on the name of the man. They leave their household and they move in with the man. But this instruction is especially important if we understand why it's given over to the man. Leave, that word leave literally means abandon. Now it doesn't mean to forsake them and don't care about father and mother anymore because the Bible does tell us to honor our parents still. But we are to leave this family unit that we once were a part of And now we take responsibility for a new kingdom unit and our own family. And a problem in our culture these days is that the man does not fully leave. And so they are still hanging on to the coattails, all the apron strings of their mother. And they're trying to ask the family still to look after them and do things for them. And he does not assume and take on the responsibilities that he now has as a husband, a kingdom assignment. So if you want to have a good marriage, guys, listen to this. Learn how to leave so that you can cleave, you can be joined to your wife. You don't just leave and do whatever you want. Now this word join actually means glue, (laughs) literally, to be glued to your wife. And can I add, super glue. And later we will see, supernatural glue. You are to be joined to your wife, not your career, not your hobbies, not money, not power, not fame, definitely not other women, and definitely also not to the ministry. And then you forsake your wife. No, you are to be glued to her. So there's a leaving and there's a joining, a gluing to the wife. And here is that unit of the marriage. Now, when you do that, you become one flesh. This is through sexual union, a gift that's been given by God to the marital couple. Now, this is where the marriage is seen as consummated. And without a sexual union, many marriages can be annulled because there's no consummation. Now, even society recognizes that. But is that all? No, because when it happens, there is a supernatural bringing together. The bodies now belong to each other. Now, Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. You don't belong to yourself anymore. Now, you belong to your spouse, and your spouse belongs to you. In that, you do have that union of both bodies coming together. Now, But you're still two separate uh, physical beings, is it not? Now, this is where the beauty comes. When you come together, there is now a sharing, and exchange, even of spirit and of soul. And I can't explain this. We, it's so hard to put our finger on it. And that's why it's a divine mystery. Now, Paul uses the word mystery, right? How do, you, how do the two even come together in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 to 32? And later, he uses this to show you that greater mystery of Christ and His church. How does this happen? And here is the key. Jesus says and explains, therefore, God is the one who joins together. We are not the ones who put ourselves together. God is the one who joins together. In the spiritual, something happens. He joins. He yokes. This is the word that is used. In other words, he's putting two beings. This is a picture of Two animals working together. And if one goes faster or slow, it's going to affect the other one. You are supposed to be moving together. Man is not to separate what God has joined. Now, this is a heavy statement. My friends, if you understand, your marriage in the sight of God, in the image of God, is a union that's put together by God himself. Is a divine order. Now, if you want to break this, you're going up against God. You're tearing apart what God has ordained or instituted or created in this marital union. This is heavy stuff, you see. You, you don't want, just want any answer. You want the right answers. The Pharisees were asking, what's the right reason? Is it for any reason? Is it for this or for that? Or can I do this? Can I not do that? Jesus is saying, guys, it's a wrong question. Wrong question. You've got to get back to the original, to the intent of God first. You don't ask, what's the way out of marriage? You don't ask, how do I walk out of marriage? You should be asking, how do I work out my marriage? When you have the right question, you will then have the right answer. Don't keep looking at divorce. Keep looking at marriage because that's God's ideal for all kingdom marriages. Question number two. Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Now, when you look at Moses, Moses equals the law and law equals a commandment. In other words, hey, Jesus, we're just following orders down here. If it's a command, it's good for us. We are keeping the law. Now, here's an interesting observation the word divorce comes from a Greek that means to release, and in this case, to put away or to send away. It's interesting because in the case of forgiveness, to release a debt, the same word is used. But for forgiveness is the release and the cancellation of a debt. And yet in divorce, the same word is the release and the cancellation of a person. Just ponder that for yourself. So why then did Moses command a certificate of divorce? Wrong questions, guys. Wrong questions again. It's not a command in the first place. It's a concession So you don't ask, why is there even a command? You should be asking, why that concession if God hates divorce and He doesn't want divorce in the first place? Moses did not command divorce. He permitted divorce. In Matthew 19 verse 8, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. See, Moses did not order you to give a divorce. He permitted that. But if you go back again to the beginning, you remember Genesis, guys? In God's original design and intent for marriage, there is to be no divorce. In God's heart, in His mind, in His design, marriage is permanent. That's His desire. God hates divorce. God does not want divorce. So why is the verse even mentioned in the law then? The Lord speaks so clearly to these Pharisees. You want the reason? I'll tell you the reason. Because of the hardness of your hearts. The hardness of your hearts. God factored in the condition of men's heart. That was not His design. That was not His intent. If He had His way, His desire he would not have divorced at all. It was the hardness of hearts. Now, what is hardness of hearts, right? What do hardened hearts result in? You have pride, you have stubbornness, you have rebellion, you have perverseness. Hardness of heart, a heart would be self-seeking, selfish, self-righteous unfeeling, unloving, uncaring, unforgiving and the list can go on. Imagine living with someone like that. Imagine being married to someone like that. So the concession or the permission for divorce was in fact a protection for the one being divorced because of the hardness of heart. God was factoring in this condition. He was looking at both sides and He says, I don't like this, but I tell you what, if I don't allow you divorce in your marriages, man, it's not going to be a pretty picture. You are going to take this to either one of these extremes and you're gonna kill each other anyway. So can you see this catch-22 situation? Should there be divorce or should there be no divorce? Either extreme is unhealthy, either extreme is dangerous. Consider this with me. If we make this a command, thou shall not divorce. You know with hardened hearts what's going to be happening? Even if you stay in that marriage, it would be as if you are divorced. I know of one country I was um, sharing with a group of people from this nation once they do not allow divorce. You're not allowed to divorce at all because God hates divorce. And so if you look at the statistics in this nation, the rate is zero because there's no divorce. But if you look at the marriages, broken marriages, multiple partners, annulments, annulments for convenience, out of convenience, uh, desertion, they leave that marriage because, and they just separate with one another. They are still legally married, but they will marry someone else. See, if their focus is on just keeping the letter of the law, you will miss the spirit of the law and you will miss God's original intent and design for marriage. But what if we allow divorce, right? It's a concession. Let's give it uh, that concession. Now it sounds really good, but with hardened hearts, this will become a convenient escape clause or a loophole. Now the focus is on how do I get a divorce instead of how do I stay married? Now if you want to find a reason, you will always find a reason. And today we have reasons of irreconcilable differences, incompatibility, or we can't communicate anymore. I have fallen out of love. Oh, financial issues, it's too difficult, you know, we can't come to terms with this, so let's break up. Um, I made a wrong decision when I was younger, so can I change my mind now? Or even better, I have now found my soulmate. God wants me to marry the right person because the one I'm with now is not the correct one. See, if we make it a concession, which is right now, we find all kinds of reasons, and if you're going to find a loophole, you will locate it. You will look for it, and you will find it. Either position or either extreme can be exploited. And we will see that even the exception that Jesus mentions, this these two words, sexual immorality, this can also be exploited or conveniently used just to justify the desire to end a marriage or the unwillingness to save a marriage. Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus then goes on, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now the Lord is just emphasizing once more, divorce is not to be the norm. You don't look at divorce, and if you are going through divorces just for the sake of satisfying your own desire to end a marriage, then you are really committing adultery if you look at the spirit of the law, not just trying to keep the letter of it. But I want to talk about this exception to the rule, except for sexual immorality. Now this is not mentioned in a parallel passage in Mark chapter 10 verses 11 to 12, because it's already presumed in the Greco-Roman society um, that divorces are permitted as long as one party is um, unfaithful and there's uh, a sexual promiscuity or immorality that's there. uh, It's okay. You can divorce. Now Matthew, I believe, includes this to address a very specific Jewish audience. So what is sexual immorality? The word used is "ponea. and ponia just means fornication, or can we say sex, sexual immorality, which can include homosexuality, bestiality, and so on, outside of marriage, before marriage. Now, we're not saying that these will be allowed within marriage. Well, we're talking about specifically that. Because if it's within the marriage, then it's considered already adultery. And Jesus had high standards for this, right? As long as you look at a woman or even a man today um, with lust, you've already committed adultery. So, puneia is for fornication, anything that's done before marriage. So, if a man discovers a woman has not been pure before that marriage, and now they are in this marriage, he can release her. He can issue that certificate of divorce, as in the case of Joseph and Mary was found pregnant with Jesus, and Joseph had that right to release her. Well, technically this does not refer to adultery as I've explained to you, which is a different word, moikea. Although many have presumed it to be so, And so, this has led to many, many different positions, caused a lot of debate, and today, the confusion continues. Now, strictly, if you want to get to the law, Deuteronomy 24 verse 1 that we're considering at this point, divorce is clearly a concession as well as a permission. In Deuteronomy chapter 22 verses 20 to 21, if you want to apply that, There is strictly no concession for someone who has been sexually immoral. In other words, in that marriage, if you discover it, either you live with it, stay married, or you expose it, and if it's proven to be true, it will be death by stoning. So you decide. Either you stay married and stay alive, or you expose it and someone dies. If it's adultery, no concession at all. Death by stoning for both the man and the woman. So think about this between divorce and death, it's easier to focus on divorce, right? No one wants to be looking at the death penalty. Now, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, I hope I've helped to establish something. When we went through Matthew chapter 18, and it exists and continues, the context applies here. The king is very serious about righteousness, and that includes sexual purity. He's also very serious about sin, sexual immorality, in the kingdom of community, and especially in the marital relationship. Guys, don't fornicate. In other words, don't don't commit sexual sins before your marriage. Stay pure. And when you get into that marriage, don't commit adultery. Don't do anything outside of the marriage. Look at your marriage. Work out your marriage. Work at your marriage. Now let's pause for a moment. If you want to adhere to these standards, Christians, kingdom people, with society and the culture that is so lax in these standards these days, who can get married? or stay married, and that's why it's easier to focus on divorce. So is Jesus thus endorsing divorce with this exception? Now it's easy to come to that conclusion, is it not, oh, thank you Jesus for this exception, oh, God grace, God grace. It depends, listen to this, it really depends if you're reading this with hardness of heart or not. If you have a hardened heart, then you and I, we will respond like the Pharisees. We will focus on the wrong question and the wrong point. We will miss all the right answers and the right ways of the kingdom, which is to focus on God's design and intent for marriage. So how are we to go about this? Surely we cannot approach this with hardened hearts we need humbled hearts. And the humility of heart is what will counter the hardness of hearts. Jesus came that we can today have hearts of flesh to be given a new heart, the heart of the King. And these are humbled hearts. Let me give you a few points. I hope that these will be helpful. See, humble hearts will remember, number one, that the way into the kingdom is through humbleness of heart. Both the husband and the wife are simply two sinners that became saints, saved by grace through faith. There's no place for pride at all. I can't look at my wife and say, I am better than you. And she can't look at me and say, hey, I am better than you. No, we are both sinners saved By grace, through faith, we humble ourselves to know that we can't be saved by ourselves. Jesus has to bring us in. Now, the way we come in, remember, humility of heart, be like little children, is the way we continue and excel in the things of the kingdom and even in our kingdom marriage. Number two, humble hearts will remember that the way to deal with and relate to one another is with humility. We must learn to see each other through the cross. And this never ends. and It will never end until we meet Jesus. We came in by the cross. We have to live with the cross. And we learn to see each other through the cross. Two things are important here. Love and forgiveness. Today when I preach at weddings or I counsel wedding couples, I'll say this one simple statement, very easy statement to remember. In your marriage, love much, forgive often. That's the cross, is it not? As He loved, so are we to love one another. As He has forgiven, we are to forgive one another. If you forget the cross your marriage will begin to break down. You will look at one another and begin to fight with each other. Very soon, you will be turned away from one another. And guess what? That direction will just take you further and further apart. And the ultimate eventuality is you're going to find a door of divorce and you're going to walk through it. See, humble hearts in the marriage will remember this. They will remember Matthew chapter 18, which is the context also that we have already considered. Apply that countermeasure of forgiveness. Break that counter-mentality to keep counting the wrongs of your spouse and keep bringing it up over and over again. Forgive often, forgive much. But what if one party remains non-repentant and continues to commit sin after sin? Then you apply Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20 across all four levels. Remember the heart of the king. It's always about restoration, but never at the expense of righteousness. You see, we apply the principles of the kingdom because humility is the way of the kingdom. Humble hearts will also remember that the way of the kingdom, number three, is a much higher way because it is God's way for His people. Kingdom marriages are to paint a picture of Christ and the church. And humble hearts readily acknowledge we know we cannot achieve this on our own. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Quoting from Genesis again, But this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Do you know that your marriage is to reflect the image of God and is to reflect the picture of love between Christ and his church and how much the, 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 the king loves his people to come to die for them, to give His life for them and to bring them to be their own. Forgave them, brings them in. See, this is the picture of Christ and His church. And every Christian marriage, every kingdom marriage is to be a representation of that. Kingdom marriages must bring glory to Jesus. This should be the focus. We shouldn't be looking for divorces. However, difficult and challenging, we go back to the right answer. And to be able to do this, every couple knows this, we need to be filled by the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you ask the wrong questions, you're going to get the wrong answer. The Pharisees were asking. We were commanded to divorce, is it not? Jesus says, no, the right answer is this. You were given a concession to divorce. But you want a correct answer? Go back to God's original design. Divorce was never God's intent. So don't ask this, what's the way out of marriage? Don't ask how to walk out of marriage. Ask instead, how do I work out my marriage? That's the correct question. But even if you ask the wrong question, That is the right answer. Question number three. If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus had made his point about marriage and about divorce. But notice the wrong focus again, and hence the wrong question. Since God's ideal is so difficult, so challenging, let's not bother with marriage, yeah? Since there's virtually no way out of a marriage, is there a way out of marrying? And so it was the disciples turn now to ask a wrong question. Is it better to stay single than Jesus? See, it's not whether being married or staying single is better. Wrong question. That's why Jesus did not provide a straightforward yes or no answer. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 11, he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Jesus was telling the disciples, singlehood is not for everyone. And Jesus uses the picture of eunuchs to make his point and he shares three categories. There are eunuchs by birth and these are people who are born with certain disabilities and for that reason they remain single. Not by choice but it's just that they're unable to get married. Then the second group They are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. By either circumstance that they are in and it's by force. These are men who are castrated or emasculated and in those times, these were given the task of looking after royal harems, right the king's concubines, or looking after the dwellings of females, and the royal courts would not want them to be mingling or getting into sexual relationships or be tempted by these, resulting in uh, relationships that are not desirable. So these eunuchs have no choice, they have to remain single. But the third category would be eunuchs by choice for the sake of the kingdom. Now, I believe this is used figuratively, right? This is not a literal thing where um, if you want to serve the sake of the kingdom, that you make yourself a eunuch or go castrate yourself. That's not the point. No, you abstain from sex. It's a voluntary abstinence from sexual relationships. You say, I will not get married. I will not be involved in any sexual relationships. and It is by choice for the sake of the kingdom. Um, We see Jesus himself remained single. John the Baptist was single. Now, some say that Paul was single. But I believe that he was married because as a member of the Sanhedrin, most likely he was married. But perhaps his partner or his wife uh, would have left him after his conversion um, to serve Jesus as the Messiah. And after that, he remained single for the rest of his time. And so these are people who have decided to say, I want to serve Jesus and the things of his kingdom. I don't want anything else to distract me. I will remain single. But the point is this. It's not whether you're single or you're married, which is better. Neither is better. Marriage is not better or more spiritual than singlehood or a higher calling than singlehood. Now, I make this point because there's a lot of focus on getting married, finding the right person and That's a very natural desire for a lot of people. A lot more focus on marriage. But this has, if we are not sensitive, is caused singles to feel as if they are second class or they're neglected. So let me say this, marriage is not better than singlehood. At the same time, singlehood is not better than marriage. For a season, even in certain quarters today, celibacy as an ascetic lifestyle is promoted as being more spiritual as a higher calling. Not necessary. Uh, In fact, those who have adopted or chosen such a lifestyle with that kind of understanding to serve the Lord, this has led to many sex scandals and issues within the church as well as the ministry. Look at Paul's advice to singles, if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. Right? It's, it's not whether one or the other is better. And his point is this, it is better get married than to burn with passion and you can't control it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 9. But yet he also acknowledged, if you want to remain single, fine, because if you're married, you will be looking after your spouse and your children and you may be distracted. But if you're single, you can serve the Lord without distraction. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35. So can you see, it's not whether you're married or whether you're single. The point is this, live righteously, live humbly to the glory of Jesus and His kingdom. If you're going to be married, reveal Jesus and His kingdom. If you're going to be single, reveal Jesus, be holy, remain pure. Ask the right questions, you're going to get the right answers. Let's bring this teaching to a close. Wrong questions, right answers. Matthew chapter 19 verses 1 to 12 seems to be about divorce. That was the Pharisees' intent to test and trap Jesus into providing answers that served their purpose. Jesus turns it around to reflect the true kingdom purpose. Marriages that bring God glory. To understand the spirit of the law, you need to get to the heart of the one who gave the law. It's always about restoration, but also always about righteousness. Hardened hearts are not able to understand this. Hardened hearts will have a wrong focus. They will ask the wrong questions and only seek for answers they want to hear. Now, even if These are wrong answers. They will make it sound right for themselves to suit their purposes. Most want the easier way. Between working out a marriage and looking for a way out of marriage, divorce was always and is always the easier option. There is no easier way, friends, only the kingdom way. God's original design and intent for marriage. Kingdom people are to strive to have kingdom marriages that would reveal Jesus our King and His kingdom. This is only possible with humbled hearts, fully yielded to and enabled by the Spirit of the King. Even the disciples, in trying to get it right, got it wrong. They wanted the easier way. Let me say it again, there's no easier way. Only the kingdom way. And only humble hearts can accept that. Whether married or single, there will be challenges and it will require sacrifice. Either way, we all need the Holy Spirit to enable us to live for the King. As we close, again I say, I want to be extra sensitive to everyone tuning in. Especially if you are struggling in your marriage now or you have gone through a divorce, or are going through a divorce at the moment. Every situation is different and challenging. This teaching does not provide all the answers to your questions. My prayer is that this teaching would have provided you with Kingdom principles to understand the heart of Jesus, our King, as you seek Him for the right answers. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for speaking to us, teaching us, and guiding us. Not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Even when we ask the wrong questions, we know you will always provide the right answers. I pray for hearts to be humbled, Lord, by you, for you. I pray for the hardness to be taken away, Lord, that you give us new hearts, Lord. Hearts of flesh, no longer of stone. By hearts of the King. Lord, we can only do this by your Holy Spirit. I pray for those journeying with friends and marriages that are going through difficult times. Grant us wisdom, compassion, love, so that we can counsel correctly. But grant us also boldness and courage to speak the truth in love. I pray for those struggling in their relationships and their marriages at the moment. Lord, give grace, Lord but I pray also for hearts to be turned to you to hear the right answers and to obey and to live for you. And so thank you once more for this time together. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website, kingdom101.archipusawakening.org. Until the next time, this is Hanson signing off. Stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.